Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello there, Steve. Our guest for this episode is Katie Spencer, who spoke to us from her home in Yorkshire a few weeks ago. Ben, I sent Katie's debut album over to you after coming across it through the whole music archive and doing a bit of rooting around on there, looking for folks who might be up for coming on the show. What did you What did you think going into this one? Um, well, it was something brand new, wasn't it? Really, we, we we haven't entered into you know the broader sort of world of folk music as such, and it didn't. You know, I don't think it, the album had landed quite in as heavily with me as it had with you. Um, but I could see that the here the the musicianship that was in there, the sort of the song craft, which even if it didn't, the you know the the style didn't immediately appeal to me. The crafting of the songs is very very apparent, isn't it? It is. And then you find out how old Katie was when she started to play guitar, and. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. It is. It's a little bit, it's a little bit annoying, if anything. <laughs> you're how old? And you're what? You're that good? Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, I know. And and actually, there's a lot of a lot of did a lot of reflecting on this after listening to the sort of first edit and stuff about how this we haven't interviewed that many young people for the mm. podcast. No, and her experiences. Um, are compressed into a much much shorter space of time aren't they you know from her sort of beginnings and when she talk she's talking about the kind of foundation of family life and involvement in the sort of festival folk folk scene um, and then coming to the guitar like you said very very late and then the distance between that and her sort of first recording experiences and then first live experience it all happens in a very very short space of time and yet she's someone that has a real depth of wisdom and a, and, a, and a lovely sense of humility to the way that she presents herself and talks about music and, and creativity, doesn't she? She does. And the, there's the, um, you know, add into that, the sort of depth of experience, the stuff that she's got on to do, like you say, really, really, really quickly, but the people that she's played with and the, the comparisons that have been made. And I, I really like watching uh, there's some fantastic clips on her website and I really like what the way that she just, I mean, the effortlessness of it. It's a, there's something really, um, I really like the expression that Katie gets into her guitar playing and that's not an easy trick to pull off. Um, and you can see why people have sort of noticed that and want to sort of get behind it and encourage it because who knows where that could go. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she comes to, you know, the listener's going to come to a lovely story about a kind of a connection and um, with musicians that were important to, to to Katie from growing up. And, and she described the experience of getting to meet them and play with them, uh, play music with them as kind of very surreal. But also, you know, she talked about throwing herself in and really being in the moment and making the absolute hundred percent most of that experience and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit about the conversation that we had with Carl Coughlin and um, you know talking about should you meet your heroes and that but I was thinking it's, it's a bit like you getting the opportunity to get into a rehearsal room with with Carl or something like that imagine how you'd kind of feel about that there's that kind of le- sort of equating experience for Katie wasn't it yeah where that must take you to with your own kind of um 
your own songwriting craft and what that must instill in you in terms of like confidence and um you know feeling feeling good about your ability and i mean yeah that must what a shot in the arm that must be yeah and, she, and she's <laughs> someone she's someone that's happy to say look i've still got a lot to learn you know she said that a number of times throughout the conversation as though that as though that was a you know is a natural part of the journey that she expected to be going on despite yeah. the fact that she's already reached like you like we said a really high level of musicianship already yeah i liked um it, it clearly when she speaks about it you can tell how much it matters but the reference that she made to the project the community music project in hull the, the warren records um and the encouragement and the mentorship that she'd had through that and um i mean that's a subject that i, I know a little bit about and that but i think there are lots of organizations around the country who do encourage young musicians that are kind of unsung and particularly you know this isn't this isn't like a brit school thing this is like people who are you know going to uh projects that people have to go and find funding for to be able to support um young people from different backgrounds and um it, it really landed with me how significant that was for her yeah, yeah, and it and it taps into two of those really key strands for us again, didn't it? Which was the whole the DIY ethic again, and also that whole thing about uh, a burgeoning sense of community and how important that is with the connections that you make. Um, and that, like you said, that was very apparent in that specific story around being mentored in that way. But also there was a thread around the sense of community, whether that's the kind of the festival scene or the folk scene, but kind of it seemed to seem to spread throughout pretty much all the stories that Katie shared across the the conversation that we had the demo that Katie sent over as well is a really unique thing for us um and I'm very grateful to Katie for sending that over because it was um literally hot off the press it was newly born song and I love the way she talked about where that song's going to go and how it's going to progress and it's the first time we've had something that is such a, a you know a, a fresh piece of creativity that um, we're going to be able to find out a bit further down the line if she records it and where it goes, what that's going to sound like. But we we got to hold on for to hear what that's going to be like. Indeed, and, and isn't it nice that, that we've got this as a kind of um, to sort of juxtapose against the the episode with Patrick from the week before? Two radically different episodes for for people to listen to. Yeah, definitely. So thank you very much to everybody that's uh, checked out uh, that episode with Patrick. That seems to be one that people have really enjoyed. Um, and our thanks to Katie for coming on and uh, speaking to us. And we hope that you like this conversation. And on that note, let's go over to our conversation with Katie Spencer on episode 44 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. Hi, yeah, um, my name is Katie Spencer and um, I'm based in uh, West Yorkshire in, in the north of England and uh, this is a song called Forevermore. Brilliant. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Katie. You mentioned uh, when you sent the demo over that, that the it's a recording that was made just minutes after the song was written. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. Is, is that something you usually do when you're writing? No, I think this is kind of the first time, uh, the first example of me kind of doing that. Um, usually I spend a bit of time uh, getting to know the song a lot more than I did when I recorded this. Um, but I just really, I don't know, I really felt like doing it this time around and, and taking a different approach to it. And I think um, that partly stemmed from kind of the time 
um, and what was happening around me at that time. And I just kind of had uh, this this kind of different energy about my music, I suppose. What was it specifically that about the time that that led you to to sort of take that different slant on it? Yeah, so I was, uh, well, I mean, it was kind of the start of the pandemic, really. So I was kind of uh, thinking about all the different changes that were happening around us. And uh, I wrote a few songs kind of um, in a very short space of time. And um, this was one of the ones that I, I wrote quite early on. And um, I guess I was very, I was trying to be as creative as I could. And I suddenly had all this time to um, really commit to that that feeling. And um I just had all of my kind of recording stuff out all the time and uh, just got into the mindset of, um, you know, just kind of take every opportunity when you feel like being creative, which was a real luxury. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, I guess because I had everything kind of lying around at my fingertips and I just thought, you know, I'll do this and I'll see what I think of the song when I come back to it. Um later because normally you know like I said a few minutes ago that uh, I normally get to know the song a lot more and I guess I was interested in how my opinion would change with the song uh, hearing it recorded yeah it seems to have come out fairly fully formed um so where where are you at where are you at with the song now because I guess it's a little bit further along so now you have got to know the song a little bit more what are your thoughts about what you might do with it yeah I'm uh I think a large thing that I, I feel like this always changes with me is the kind of vocal phrasing. Um, so I feel like maybe listening back to that now, I'm like, gosh, that's really quite rushed. <laughs> um, I guess because I'm just kind of going for it at the time. Um, so yeah, a lot of the vocal phrasing has changed quite a lot. And I think the instrumental section in the middle is kind of slightly different as well um, because of it kind of bedding in and thinking about what the song means more and how I should kind of put that across um, rather than uh, just going with, with whatever is happening at the time. Um, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be on an album that I'm going to release next spring. Um, so I'm just uh, in the middle of kind of starting out recording sessions for that and, and things. So that's that's quite exciting and thinking about how how it's changed over the, over the months. Do you think that um, that writing in that way has that had an effect on how you approach in making other music at the moment as well? Is that something you're gonna you're gonna try again to be more instantaneous with stuff? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the time it takes me quite a, a while to, um, I guess, complete a song, um, if you can call it that. Um, so I'll I'll maybe get like a few lyrics, whatever, a chorus or something, and. Uh, and have that around for a few weeks and then I'll keep going back to it. Um, not necessarily kind of analysing it and tweaking it in a small sense, just just in the in the sense that I kind of um, very rarely get a big bulk of lyrics coming to me all at once. Um, but yeah, I think that really helped with that because I, you know, I had everything lying around and I, and I could, um, if I wanted to, kind of, write something and, and hear it in front of me a few minutes later, which is quite exciting. Um, and I definitely do want to um, explore that more. And I think that um, something that is kind of similar to that is uh, kind of learning other people's songs as well and arranging them. Um, that's something I was doing at that moment in time as well. And um, 
I use the recording I use the recording software to kind of arrange these songs um which is which was another new experience for me um normally I just play around with them you know and, and come back to them and keep them in my head for quite a while um but that was really interesting and using uh very rudimentary uh recording skills to um arrange songs was something quite exciting uh, so yeah I'd definitely take it forward um in the future that's really it's it's nice isn't it is that the uh, kind of building on that uh, spontaneous idea is is a it is an exciting way to work but i'm i'm interested in um what you were saying before about um songs not necessarily coming straight away it fully formed in terms of lyrics and uh ideas building and living with songs for a little bit are you what are you like at letting go of the song at the end so, okay i've that's done now i'm going to walk away with it and how 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 quickly does the song let you kind of detach and and just be yeah that's a really interesting question um a lot of the time in uh you know normal times um i uh i would just kind of write a song and if it felt if it felt kind of good i would take it uh to a live setting play it once or twice and see how it felt then and um I feel like without realizing it, I got a huge, um, I don't know. It was, it was a really big aid in that, in that, um, journey really, um, taking it, taking it into a live setting, um, and just gauging people's reactions and, but also mainly just how I felt like it was sitting. Um, so that, that kind of, uh, I guess with that in mind, I would generally kind of write a song and very soon after take it take it out and then that would be the the decider really but um you know no doubt that there are a lot of processes that um happen before I take it out um and I think that just largely comes down to gut feeling about the song and uh generally the way that I, I work is is to have it rolling around for a while anyway um until until it becomes something that I feel is is um cohesive um so yeah um i think that was largely why this new method came about with the recording software because um i didn't have these live gigs to take the songs out to so i guess i was being my own kind of <laughs> judge listening back to them in that regard were you still um is it a marker that you can do you have to imagine yourself playing a song on stage in order for it to feel right for you to carry on working with it yeah I didn't really realize this until I didn't have the ability to do that anymore so yeah I think so um yeah I, I definitely do envisage myself in that in that mindset quite a lot and just earlier on I was kind of rehearsing for some gigs that I've got coming up which is really exciting but I was definitely in that kind of uh, frame of mind and um and then I'd go on to kind of uh practice some new songs as well and I'd definitely be in that mindset even though I've never played them to people before or whatever um yeah and I think uh just as a, a kind of a little link I've kind of set up a Patreon account which has been huge in in that sense because I've been able to have this audience but not necessarily as I know it so that's been a big drive for me to carry on making music and and getting somewhat that sense of um I guess yeah relationship or um whatever yeah 
It's really important, isn't it? That connection with your with your audience and you've, and, and the I, I think a lot of performers, not just musicians, but creative people who do have relationships or developing relationships with a with a, an audience. Um, the the kind of uptake of 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 other platforms to stay connected um, during during lockdown has been really interesting. The way that people have have, have gone about that. Uh, and the and the kind of different creative ways that people have adapted and evolved to 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 stay connected because it is so important, isn't it? And how, how much of the did you do much uh, kind of live live stuff or performances or uh, uh, on the, on Zoom or anything when you were uh, during the lockdown? Yeah, I did. Um, I was kind of well just before. Well, I think it was about the. 28th of March or something um I was set to go out and do a tour um and I'd been waiting since kind of last the October before uh to kind of go out on this tour and um so yeah I was really excited for that um but then of course the week before it all kind of got got pulled like so many other people um and uh something that kind of emerged from that scenario is that um the promoter for the the gig in London that I was going to play, um, he he said, you know, how, how about we kind of take it, like you know, online, um, and I was really apprehensive about that, and I think had it been down uh, to my own decision, um, you know, m- my own, yeah, m- my own idea or whatever, I, I probably left it a lot longer than I did, and I was kind of thrown into that scenario. So uh, looking back, I'm really grateful for that because I didn't quite think that it would be very enjoyable <laughs> um but because he was kind of up for it and and I thought yeah why not and it kind of happened um I really enjoyed it I found that it was a lot of fun and very different to how I perceived it beforehand um so yeah consequently I kind of went on to do a few more um of those maybe one a month or something like that um in various different ways um but yeah that was a lot of fun and and another way of kind of keeping in touch with people again and did you get connections with the audience through that as well did you find that you were getting feedback how was how is that working yeah it's really interesting because i think the live streaming thing has been a really positive uh a really positive force in the last few months because um it's allowed people to kind of discover new music i think um been chatting with a couple of guys um who kind of come and see see me at gigs um in normal times and um kind of become friends with them over the last few months and um I was just asking them I was just interested to know if they'd discovered any new music and they've discovered loads and it's kind of you know a lot of kind of overseas artists who they wouldn't have ever had the chance to see otherwise um so that's been great I think really really cool well, I'm going to take a bit of a left turn with the conversation, <laughs> if that's all right with you. And uh, yeah, just wanted to ask about uh, what first brought you to the guitar. Um, yeah, I, I kind of started playing guitar when I was about 16, I think. Um, and 16? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my d- dad always had a guitar around the house, but he never he never played it really, I think. He knows around ten chords or something, um, and uh, yeah, he you know m- my parents are massive music fans, um, 
yeah, they kind of took me to festivals as a as a kid, and I've got loads of memories of kind of being in that environment and enjoying live music and just yeah, really kind of acknowledging that the people on stage were having a good time and um, yeah, so kind of I was brought up in a in a musical family, but none of my family were musicians. Um, but yeah, my my dad just kind of had this guitar as more of an ornament than anything else, and um, it's it sounds really silly now. But I just used to walk past it and, and like pluck the the E string, and it would remind me of the Beatles song "Day Tripper." And one day I was like, I'm gonna learn that. I'm yeah. gonna learn that riff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, that's how it began. <laughs> did did you go and learn that riff as well? <laughs> yeah, along with all the other hits, like Smoke on the Water. <laughs> uh, you have to. It's, you're legally obliged to learn Smoke on the Water, I think. <laughs> it's that. And I, well, at the, um, I, I, I run a community arts charity. And it, when we were doing, when we do music workshops with kids, it's um, they still come in and want to learn how to play Smoke on the Water, which I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> yeah, possible yeah. But it's that. And it's the the uh, the riff from Sweet Child of Mine. Amazing. <laughs> and now it's it. Seven Nation Army as well. Is the of other course, one. yeah. My partner's a guitar teacher and he kind of took all of his students online uh, during the pandemic. And he used to sit up in the top room of our house and <laughs> I'd just hear these riffs over and over again. And You're right. How like when he's like, 60 or something you'll be like this song is a hundred years old (laughs) (laughs) it's quite a funny thought (laughs) it's brilliant can you can you tell us some of those early festival memories going to fest what sort of festivals were your folks taking you to um a lot of acoustic music a lot of folk music a lot of kind of traditional folk music um and i think that just stemmed from kind of um well i guess they, they really enjoy that kind of songwriter kind of vibe um and um i guess kind of family friendly atmosphere of those kind of festivals really um and yeah we just used to go down and camp at these festivals and um of course when you kind of go to a few um every year you you make friends with the people there and uh it just becomes this big community who um who maybe you know some of the people you only see once a year but it's a a huge kind of force in your life I guess which is a, a strange but interesting thought and um yeah we just kind of used to go down and uh I, I remember kind of discovering some of my most favorite artists for the first time having no idea who they were at the time and um I guess that informs a lot of you know what I do and what I'll carry on doing for, for years you know just being a young kid but um not even kind of playing an instrument at that time, but just kind of being amongst that scene was really important, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it was a have lot you, of fun. I'm really glad. Have you gone back to play at any of the festivals that you went to when you were young? Yeah, I have. It's really strange seeing the other side of how it works. It was kind of very strange at first and quite surreal. And something that I often kind of try and check in with myself about as well because I I don't want to say take it for granted but it's um I guess a natural progression and over months and years it's kind of uh you know it's just something that's happened but when you when you word it like that that you know 
gone to these festivals as a kid and then I've played them that's you know that's really cool and it's important I think to kind of realize that sometimes but yeah I think one of the ones that I did first was Beverly Folk Festival in East Yorkshire um yeah it's really nice are those the communities and the connections that you grew up with are they still present are those people there's still people from those communities in your life yeah I mean I went to a, a festival last weekend actually which was wild um really 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 good um and there are people there who I've known for maybe 10 years or more um from festivals and uh yeah that's so special um and yeah you maybe only see them once or twice in a year but um yeah they just got all these stories to tell and you know just characters have been on the scene forever or whatever that's great that's really nice just uh, go, going back to um those kind of early um early days of playing i mean start guitar at 16 is quite that's quite old isn't it for picking up an instrument and uh, especially if, with how accomplished you've become i mean your guitar playing is fantastic um i'm just wondering about um your kind of early uh, early musicianship and when did you start to play did, have you ever played with other people and kind of doing stuff in bands and, and and that sort of thing or were you always sort of drawn towards being a songwriter and just playing playing your own stuff on your own um yeah i first started playing um with a friend of mine i think we were just leaving college at the time and we just enjoyed playing music and we kind of play uh, we'd just bring songs to 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 kind of have a go at and i kind of i think really soon after that um i wanted to start writing my own songs but i i think i started writing songs from the viewpoint of um becoming a better guitarist i think rather than wanting to actually just write songs um i wanted to see how the instrument could fit with what i would what i would go on to write and things like that and that sort of process led me to kind of go more on my own um and that was when i began to yeah just write more songs and the songwriting took took over a lot more um so yeah that was how it initially started and then from there I went on to kind of meet lots of people in Hull um I'd go there um I don't know a few times a week and just be I just surround myself with other songwriters and guitarists and you know who I really admire and um just watch them really um I was never very uh confident at that time to be able to play with other musicians but I really loved uh yeah just really really watching them and learning from from them um and since then I've I've played with other people um playing playing my own songs uh, but it's definitely something that I feel like I've got a lot lot more to learn um with regard to kind of throwing myself in and uh you know playing along with other other musicians it's normally kind of uh them playing my songs which which is nice but i'd, I'd definitely like to um throw myself in in the deep end more <laughs> what was it that that helped you to sort of break through that barrier around confidence and and performing your own music um i think um 
just having the, the other musicians there to encourage me initially and my folks as well have, have uh, been hugely supportive of, of my music and um, having that uh, that network of support I guess was was big and then um, I guess it kind of goes back to that that thing of the festivals you know playing um, playing more gigs and and visiting places that um, mean a great deal to me and, pl- and being able to play my music there I think was a big confidence boost and, and still continues to be um, so yeah I think I think a combination of those things really do you remember do you remember the first moment when you climbed on from the stage and played a song in front of people then I can actually it was a really it was really strange um, it was with my friend and uh, neither of us had ever performed in front of people and I remember kind of being caught singing by my mum one time and being really mad at her it's kind of kind of strange now um but yeah uh we were at this folk club in uh in a tiny village in east east of hull um it's kind of strange and wild over there uh you know i grew up there hopefully i can get away with saying that um (laughs) kind of um yeah wild and and uh I don't want to say hillbilly-ish because that is definitely the wrong word, but I hopefully you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, it was a tiny folk club in uh, in a village over there. And um, yeah, it was a crazy um, adrenaline <laughs> rush. Um, and I don't know if I enjoyed it at the time, but then when I finished, I kind of felt like I wanted to do it again. So yeah, it's a strange memory. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, how was it then? Um, that's how things were for for playing live. But what about going into the studio for the first time? Um, what are your memories of doing that? Yeah, I just remember feeling, um, you know, full of all these kind of. It's a cliche to say, but possibilities of um, what 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 we could do. And um, I think my very early recordings almost reflect that quite a lot um I wanted to experiment with with what we could do um and yeah it's been a a huge learning curve from then really um and yeah I I first went into the studio in 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 Scotland and um was working with this kind of um this producer who I really admired he produced um John Martin who is a hero of mine and um, I was really excited to work with him and, and hear what he what he kind of had to offer and what what his thoughts were on the music and everything and um, yeah it was a really exciting time and just the whole the whole vibe of that of that whole period in time was uh, is, is still so strong and um, yeah re- with regards to kind of the first experiences in in the actual studio is kind of um very yeah I just wanted to experiment I didn't quite know where I was going with it I was just excited to have that experience and to you know learn from it as much as I could and um yeah I'm really really grateful for that because I think that uh each time I go in I learn something you know something fairly big every time (laughs) when you when you go into a recording session do you have a very open mind about what's going to come out of it then or do you rather than having a kind of prescribed view of how the song's going to come out? 
are you kind of are you, are you someone that likes to experiment and have contributions from other people and let songs develop in in the actual recording i think i'm somewhere in the middle now um i i feel like i've have a stronger voice in the studio than i did before and i've learned a great deal more uh you know since i first went in you know about five years ago or whatever um and yeah i something i enjoyed actually during the pandemic was recording with two other musicians live in the studio which i've only ever done tiny bits of in the past and never with more than one person um and that was that was incredible really i, I really want to kind of go on and do a lot more of that because the energy in, in that moment was so different to what I'd experienced in the studio before and I think it was closer to what we were talking about earlier on with the the live setting and, and you know imagining yourself in that setting um so yeah that was amazing and and I really like that um you're not there to kind of cut the take and then suggest something new especially you're just kind of all feeling your way in at the same time and um I enjoyed that in the sense that I could um really appreciate the other musicians contributions to the songs and everything like that um so yeah I guess I'm a bit of both now you just reminded me of some of a conversation I had today with with my friend Neil who was talking about um he's really into this uh, this Norwegian record label and they put out loads of really eclectic stuff but there's a band oh see I've started an anecdote now and I can't remember the <laughs> terrible but there, uh, there's, there's this band and they the the uh, it's it, it's quite kind of um, avant-garde jazz, uh, for want of a better description. But the way that they go about making their music is they 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 find a kind of unique, interesting, characterful building, and then they go there and they set up their recording kit and they record, improvised, the sound of the building the character of the building is that they just, this is how we feel in this space. And then they record. And then the next album is in a different building. It's a completely different space that they, they just go and do their thing in that space, which I thought was absolutely oh, brilliant. brilliant. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, I mean, it lends itself to avant-garde jazz, that sort of <laughs> concept. But um, uh, I mean, you could do, you could do that with anything, couldn't you? It's a, it's a really nice idea. Yeah. That, I mean, that reminds me of something I was talking about earlier this week, actually. Um, there's a, a really great guitarist based in Derbyshire called Nick Jonah Davis. I don't know if you've come across him, but he's um, he's really good. And his last album was recorded in a a small church um, in in a village somewhere. And you know, one of those kinds of churches where you, it's kind of open all the time, and and people passing through can can go and have a look around and. Uh, he would kind of start recording a take and then there'd be a visitor coming to look at the show <laughs> and kind of let him in and he became an expert on the kind of history of his church over the week or whatever. <laughs> Quite a funny thought. You must, um, you've got to feel pretty confident in your musicianship to step into a room and make the type of recording you were talking about. Gosh, I mean, I was very... Um, so it was something brand new to me, really. And um, the musicians I was working with are kind of, uh, you know, I've admired what they do for years. I've kind of been brought up listening to the music that they've made. And it was very surreal, but also um, 
yeah just a great challenge and especially in in a time where things were getting a bit lost it was just an amazing kind of like shake um and yeah so much fun something that um again I guess I've kind of threw myself in at the deep end and tried to just be in that moment and when I went in I was like I'm just going to enjoy this and it doesn't matter kind of what happens if we come out with some rubbish or whatever um but yeah um luckily all kind of went well and uh yeah it was just it was just a, a real treat um something that yeah it's a I feel like I've still got a lot more learning to do um in that context but yeah um very exciting it's just the uh the 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 John Martin record the, the reworking of some of those songs yeah yeah that's yeah that's the one yeah um yeah so we went in and played uh three of my kind of all-time favorite John Martin songs uh did you get to pick them pick the songs that you did yeah that's great yeah it was it was wonderful actually and um yeah just being with two guys who who I hugely admire and and hearing their reinterpretations of songs that they played on years ago is super special and just hearing stories from them about that time and um yeah just just so nice and I, I just want to kind of try and remember that for for a long time what was your folks reaction to you getting the opportunity to do that they, that must <laughs> must have been pretty impressive for them yeah they were really really excited for me I think um uh yeah I think they know how much I admire the music and um yeah I, th- I guess they were also kind of um uh, nervous for me as well because they probably knew how much I wanted to kind of get it right and um yeah but they've uh they've been getting to know the music of of John Martin with me as well we all kind of discovered it at the same time and um it's been a it's been a real treat and every time I seem to get in my dad's car he's he's playing John Martin which is very nice <laughs> That's lovely how did how did that how did that connection happen how did that opportunity come about Katie um, it's a really strange thing, actually. It's one of the festivals that we used to go to um, quite a lot when I was a kid. Um, was this really traditional folk gathering in North Yorkshire, um, in a place called um, Hardraw near Halls, and um, we'd got there and listened to all these tunes being played in this really old old school pub, and um, it was really nice. But this one particular year, um, for some reason, it it wasn't happening. But on the same weekend uh, that it would have been happening was a, a gathering of, of John Martin fans, which was quite a surreal uh, experience because, you know, I'd been listening to him for maybe one or, one or two years and he was kind of the biggest force behind my inspiration at the time. And um, we were like, oh my gosh, we, we must go to this. So we went down and um, there were so many nice folks there from all over the UK and, um, just come together to celebrate John Martin's music and uh one of the people there was Danny Thompson um you know amazing double bass player um he's played on almost every record that I've got behind me <laughs> um and yeah there was the opportunity to just kind of play some songs um in a kind of sing around atmosphere and um yeah I just I just played a couple of songs and they um and he really enjoyed them and uh kind of put me in touch with um, the producer I mentioned earlier on and I went on to record with him and um, 
just went from there really just kind of meeting meeting all these people in this in this scene that um is is so wonderful um and yeah we went on to play some gigs together and just meeting up every so often at festivals and things like that um and every time we'd say oh we should do something together um and and yeah so so we did (laughs) that's fantastic that's so nice isn't it um i wanted to ask a little bit about the recording of your debut album uh, which is a brilliant piece of work. Although I have to say, and I don't know if this is a this is a comment that you've had before, but it's it's not a, a record that I can advise people jogging uh, while whilst, uh, listening to it <laughs> because uh, I've, I've I go for a run along the beach here where I live in North Wales and, uh, <laughs> and so run, running along, and it's a cycle path, and you've got intermittently throughout this record scattered through this little bell sound. And just, <laughs> I think there's a bike come. It sounds like a bike bell when you're running with it. So it, 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 I can't advise running and listen to it because you think you're about to get hit by a. <laughs> it's very beautiful. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a very beautiful record. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. But it, it does, it does have that 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 kind of that that quali- those qualities of, of of something that's been really carefully, thoughtfully put together. Um, so I wanted to just ask about that, really, and about getting that group of songs together and going into it to to make a record like that. What was that process like for you? Thanks. Um, that's very kind. Um, it's a it's a strange thing. It's a it's a collection of songs that I, you know, there are some of the first songs that I wrote on there, and then. Um, I think what the weather beaten actually the title track is um that was written in the studio when we were coming towards the end of the sessions um so there's a whole range of songs from quite a vast period of time i think um so in that regard i guess it's just kind of um a collection of kind of snapshots of time um that then formed a kind of hopefully cohesive picture which is which is interesting um i think um it's it's it kind of feels strange to to kind of talk about it just now um because it's it spans such a a a huge bit of time and i think you can almost hear that within some of the songwriting and the and the guitar playing as well um and yeah it was just such a treat to kind of um choose which songs um i wanted to put on it um you know throughout that that time um and also interesting how the title track was was the last one to kind of make that picture whole i guess um hopefully it kind of drew together a lot of the songs um gave them a bit more context um as a as a collection of songs um and yeah it was just such a a treat to go in there and i think that was the first time i had a a true vision of how i wanted it to sound in the end and um where i really began to uh i guess make decisions um based upon some some real thought <laughs> um which was really exciting and 
um, I still really, you know, I, I have such fond memories of recording that and, and feeling that um, that new knowledge and, and taking it different different places with the songs and everything and, and making connections with, you know, new musicians who, who were um, amazing players. And I still really, you know, I really like thinking about the album and, you know, it's my, my debut album, so it's it's really really nice to have such fond memories and be, I guess I guess proud of what we did as well. It's really nice. Are you someone that finds it easy to listen to the music you've made? Do you go back and go back and listen to your records? No, <laughs> no. I feel like um, obviously you know when it's kind of when it's done, um, I feel a sense of. Um, uh, fi- f- uh, finality is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a full stop. I think when it's become an album and I'm holding it, um, and I can hear it for what it is and uh, as a whole, and the songs and and the tiny details stop becoming so big, and I can just hear it for for ten songs on an album. Um, so yeah, I, I I enjoy that, but then I think it's then it's kind of time for me to. Uh, move on to the next thing um so yeah I, I don't I don't listen to my my music uh when when it's finished <laughs> it's difficult to do isn't it but because you spend so long listening to it and and you're so close to it and it's an it's a very intense experience making making records sure. um you do need to have that 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 distance and and also you kind of forced you have to force yourself to listen to to the music you're making in a in a very different way so kind of you just it it, it feels right to just be okay, i'm done with that now i need to not <laughs> or yeah, consider yeah. That again. It's, it's a real kind of contradiction isn't it because uh you know you want to you're encouraging people to go and listen but i think that's maybe the beauty of being able to go out and play the songs live and and reconnect with them differently um definitely um, although I really like listening to my music after I've made it. <laughs> I'm going to putting it out there. I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm saying it. <laughs> Massive ego. Um, uh, yeah. Um, getting signed and like working with record labels. I'm, 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 we, we have that conversation with people when, we talk to people on the podcast about uh, about that. What's your experience of working with a, a record label? Um, I've only ever really, um, apart from once, kind of, I've, I've released everything independently. So, um, I'm, you know, in the process of kind of setting up my own label, which I'm excited about. Um, but yeah, I've only ever kind of just released it on on my own, and uh, you know, got other people on board with it, but. I only ever kind of done it independently apart from uh one time where i uh in fact it was my first release um released it with um a great bunch of people in hull called warren records um who were an organization for or still i think they still are an organization for young people and uh who want to kind of be creative somehow and they had this record label that was that was really great actually a lot of my um favorite albums were released on there from uh when I was when I was really young and uh yeah it was a, it was really nice to kind of be mentored by um 
a great guy called Stuart Baxter, um, who has gone on to do um, really great things with his own music as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's such a creative force and such an inspiration and so hardworking. I think um, that really set me on a um, well. It just it just gave me a lot of inspiration to kind of follow in his footsteps in terms of his attitude and uh, his work ethic. Um, so yeah, that's definitely informed what I've gone on to do. Um, and maybe maybe kind of given me the confidence to kind of um, release independently, although it's not something that I want to do forever. Yeah, it's a massive challenge, isn't it? There's so much to it. And I, 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 can, I can understand the draw to want to do that, actually, uh, and, and um, uh, retaining con- control. And uh, we were talking to somebody recently who just, who, who does like masses and masses and masses of self-promotion and just wherever they can go. How supportive do you think, or how much of a benefit do you think it is being part of uh, the folk scene uh, as, a, as a scene that seems to be very supportive of artists within it? And do you feel that that kind of helps? Yeah, I think there's a very um, grassroots feeling amongst amongst the the folk scene and and you know that's not um I don't want that to sound in a negative way you know it's it's amazing there's so much support there um especially for um young people I think they really want to nurture that um because you know young people are in a minority in that scene um and I think people kind of do acknowledge that and they want to they want to keep keep helping that to to flourish um so yeah, there's a there's a great a great scene in that regard, and um, word of mouth is huge as well. And um, yeah, that's that's one of the most valuable uh, promotion tools I think in that scene. Uh, word of mouth and just um, yeah, just promoting where you can, like you were saying, you know, trying to um, take every opportunity, I suppose. And how, how linked into the folk scene? So the folk scene that you grew up in in Yorkshire and that, how did they? How does that link up with other folk networks across the country? Um, I think there's just a great network of venues up and down the country who, and and I guess I guess it's the the whole idea of this word. What is what you know? What is the word folk? What does it mean to? What it means something different to every person, you know, which is interesting, and I think it can span so many different uh genres, I suppose, in a weird way. Um, and you know, I don't really play, I play one or two traditional folk songs, but it's largely songwriter kind of based music, uh, or guitar based songs, and um, you know, it can still be under this umbrella of folk, and I can go and play, um go and play some music at a really traditional folk festival and then the next time it can be um something where there are you know a lot a lot of kind of indie bands but there's a great songwriter movement within that um so it's it's a really interesting kind of um place to be kind of straddling a few different scenes all at once and I think that's really interesting and it's it's interesting like you say to think about how the scene that I grew up with in Yorkshire is connected uh in such a vast way in in that regard because the word folk is so um i don't know yeah just interesting it means something different to so many people 
Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a it's, it's a catch-all for a lot of a lot of very different stuff, isn't it? You just made me think about the the Green Man Festival, which isn't necessarily mm. a folk festival, but it has that kind of slump to it, I would say. And actually, yeah. even with some of the more kind of uh, um, electronic artists that get booked, or or some of the more left field stuff that gets booked, it does kind of sort of tilt towards folk a little bit um which actually begs the question are you are you make are you you know kind of secretly making beats and getting ready to do <laughs> the, the crossover <laughs> now you're dabbling with software <laughs> no that's it's interesting, interesting that folks. Sorry. sorry go go ahead sorry i was just gonna say i grew up listening to a lot of kind of uh i don't know bands like the maccabees and people like that and it's interesting to delve into the music that they were inspired by and it quite often comes around to the you know that kind of circle i suppose is there any anyone in particular that that uh jumps out from that inspiration from bands that you liked oh gosh uh this is yeah i should be able to back this up shouldn't i um <laughs> I guess the, one of the bands i used to listen to a lot was um the bombay bicycle club and they have a I've done a few songs of John Martin's and I, that was even before I even knew who John Martin was. I just enjoyed them for the songs. So it's quite interesting. With what's the inspiration for starting your record label? Is it just for releasing your music or are you thinking about releasing other people's music? I think, yeah, um, initially I just want to release my own music and see, see how that goes. And um, it's just an exciting idea for me at the moment to, um have a project that encompasses something else as well um i guess it's all the things that i'm already doing but it's just exciting to think of having a an umbrella for for everything um and yeah i'm looking forward to kind of diving into um getting that all set up and hopefully maybe in the future i can get other people on board as well um but i i, I would only want to do that when i'd kind of made sure that it was a, a you know a, a good thing and, and was going well really I think Ben might be sending you his folk demo that he's been working on. <laughs> what he was doing is <laughs> just <laughs> sowing that seed. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that now, please, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, we interviewed Bruce Russell from a, a New Zealand band called the Dead Sea, um, and he talked in a very interesting way about setting up a label and running a label. Um, I'll I'll edit this bit out because I'm making no sense, but it's worth hearing his take on running an independent record label and and his kind of, um, it's not really a manifesto, but he kind of had a very, very clear idea about what that should be, you know, and how how artists should be supported and, um, and and being very clear with people about what he was able to do for people once they, when they approached him about, putting their music out it's, it's really really interesting he's an incredibly impressive guy um cool i have yeah. to have a listen yeah also music that you can't jog to it's like yeah. <laughs> white noise disorientating running around surely didn't try jogging to dead sea did you? I, yeah i yeah i did in fact <laughs> in fact um it was because i wasn't sure which record to listen to in preparing for the interview so i just uh, put on like you know one of those um 
Apple Essentials playlists. <laughs> just like, it's just it was just basically like the most avant garde. It's noise. It's just not not. I, I really liked it, but it's just noise rock. It's just feedback and distortion and improvisation. And I ran for like forty five minutes. <laughs> just running into walls. He, he he refuses to describe himself as a musician, doesn't he? He, says he does. He, yeah, yeah. He makes, yeah. He, he makes he makes noise. He doesn't make music. Yeah, <laughs> he was bloody amazing, amazing but, man. But yeah, and that and that whole the kind of impetus for starting that record label again was all about making connections, wasn't it? It was, uh, and he was doing that, for, you know, at a time pre-internet time when and making global connections, you know, through through phone calls and writing letters and 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 like, all sorts of stuff. It was just, it was so impressive. Yeah, from yeah. a little town in New Zealand, you know, c- nice. could not be more disconnected, but then managed to just have this sprawling global reach for this, because it was it was genuine and it was filled with intent and honesty. Yes, yeah. and you know, and, and, he, uh, and he said those friendships have been sustaining throughout his life, didn't they? You yeah, know, they, those connections that he made then are still present, and you know, I don't know, it's it's a folk, it's a folk tradition of a sort, isn't it? Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. That's kind of what, yeah, made me made me think about it. Um, sorry, I'll, I will edit all of that out. <laughs> it's, it's relevant, but you know. Uh, okay. Well, we're, I mean, we're, we're heading close to the hour mark, so thank you very much for spending some time with us and, and, and talking to us, Kate. You just wanted to ask about your future plans. You were talking about another album, which is a, a new album, which is really exciting. But what have you got? What have you got planned? Thanks. Yeah, so um, I'm going to continue to finish this album off in the next few months. And then um, I've got, a well, the beginnings of a tour together, um, which will be in April and May next year, um, which is super exciting from the huge drought of live music. Um, And yeah, in the immediate future, I've got a few gigs coming up uh, and festivals over the summer, um, which again will be so nice. And uh, hoping to get out and tour with um, Spencer and Alan, who I recorded the John Martin songs with as well. Um, hopefully that can be in, in the autumn of this year and uh, we can, yeah, take that, that feeling onto a, into a live setting, hopefully. I'd love that. Is, does, is music sustaining for you, Katie? Do you, or do you have to do other things or can you make a living from your music? Yeah, I mean, for the last four years or so, um, taking away the last one um I was doing music full-time and um yeah sustaining myself paying paying the bills all that boring stuff um just just with music which is such a a dream come true really and um yeah really fulfilling and uh, beautiful really um but yeah sadly because of the pandemic you know I'm, I'm working back in a supermarket like when I left school um which is fine. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for that job as well. Um, I'm a lot fitter for it. But yeah, um, hopefully I can kind of make that transition back into um, playing music full time um, in, in the next few few months, hopefully. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, absolutely. All, all power to you. Listen, thank you for coming on the podcast, Katie. It's been so a, a joy to find your discover your music um and uh could we just finish off with you introducing the song that people are going to hear now please thank you it's been such a treat
Um, this is a song called Forevermore. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Thank you. Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented 
produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. Mm-hmm.